Now we'll turn to a gospel reading out of John chapter 13. And this is going to be that moment which we're thinking about and remembering tonight. That last supper that Jesus enjoyed and celebrated with his disciples. Little did they know that he was the fulfillment of all of these things that were happening that very night. And that the Jews had commemorated for centuries past. I'm going to invite uh, Charlie and Judy Stabilepsi forwards to uh, read for us. Again, it's John 13. And we're going to go verses 1 uh, to 35. Thank you, guys. Good evening. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, I wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of who he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? 
Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why. He said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say unto you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Thank you. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray as we uh, turn to God now in the teaching. Lord, we come before you and acknowledge as we hear those words read, Lord, that we are so slow in doing these things. God, how much we struggle to be as Jesus was and to do as he commanded We talk of love a lot in our culture and in our world and as believers. But Lord, we must confess that we do not love truly as you love. To love even those that have harmed us or hurt us. To love even our enemies. You tell us in your word, God, that you have demonstrated your love for us, and yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, while we were estranged, while we were at war with you, you died for us. So Lord, we come to this passage, to this night, and we humble ourselves in your presence, acknowledging how far we, how far short we fall. God, we Do not live up to your calling, but we long to. We pray as we hear the word taught and as we partake of the Lord's Supper here in a few moments that you might enable us and empower us to be like like you, to be like Jesus. That we would love one another just as you have loved us. And in so doing that the world would know that we are your disciples. Lord, would it be so tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said at the very start of the service, tonight is that night when we remember Jesus' last supper with his disciples. Well, I want to ask the question, because it's debated and thought a lot about in many circles and I know maybe there are some that 
that, that wonder uh, about this question, but it was this, in fact, a Passover meal that Jesus and his disciples were uh, celebrating that night. There's a lot, again, of debate about this point, but I think there's a great deal of evidence to suggest that, that this meal was, in fact, a Passover meal. And I want to give you just a few points that hopefully will help you, um, I guess, understand a bit of what was going on, but also that this was, in fact, a Passover meal. The meal, first of all, was eaten within the walled city of Jerusalem, which was um, an aspect of the Passover, that people would um, take a pilgrimage and come into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate it. That's an indicator that this meal was, in fact, a Passover. Jesus, another point, Jesus and the disciples reclined at the table instead of sitting, which is something that would have been done at Passover and more formal meals. That's why we've set things up like this, and I'll explain a little bit of the arrangement as we go go on. But um, at formal meals, nicer meals, they would have reclined. Again, and I'll explain some of what that means in a moment. Another point that seems to indicate that this was a Passover meal is that most people in that day and place ate only two meals a day. Breakfast, which would have been just before our lunchtime, kind of like a brunch, and then the evening meal. And the law required Passover to be eaten in the evening, and this gathering happened in the evening. Another point is that they ended the meal with a hymn, which was also customary to do at the end of the Passover meal. And we'll do that at the end of communion here shortly. Another point is that scholars say that it was also ritual to have the host interpret the elements at the meal to explain, in other words, what the various elements and item food items meant in regards to the Passover. If you were to go back to that passage in Exodus 12, you will see where God institutes the Passover that the various things that are served at that meal um, that are eaten symbolize certain things that God desires his people to remember about the Passover. The obvious piece, the lamb, which, way, which they were to eat uh, every part of, reminds them of the blood which was spread upon the doorposts to save them from the death plague which was coming upon the land of Egypt in the original Passover. The bitter herbs reminded them of the bitterness of sin and slavery. The unleavened bread reminded them of the swiftness of God's deliverance. They didn't even have time to bake bread and wait for it to rise and so on. So tonight we will have something similar to what they would have enjoyed um, in that, at that Passover meal as well. All of this would have been explained at a typical Passover meal which started the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And what do we see here at this meal? Jesus takes up the elements and explains what they mean. In John's account, we don't, we don't get many of those details, but in the other Gospels, he does this. And of course, in the Passover meal, Jesus explains that the bread is symbolic of what? His body, right? Being broken for sin. And he explains that the wine is symbolic of his blood, which will soon be shed. Again, another indicator that this was, in fact, the Passover meal as Jesus is explaining the various aspects of the meal. Another point, when you get into the letters of Paul, we see Paul referring to Jesus in places like 1 Corinthians 
5-7 as our Passover. And using other terms that would have been similar or familiar to those who practiced the Passover meal. So it seems to be that Jesus is making these connections at the meal. And Paul, later on, also indicating these things. Some may wonder, what about John 13.1? If you look at the beginning of that section where um, Judy and Charlie just read for us a few moments ago, it says these things happened before the Feast of Passover. Maybe some are thinking maybe this is some other thing going on. Some scholars suggest that perhaps this is merely a heading that is referring to the foot washing portion. If you read John's account, which we just did, it talks about, it says these things happen before the Passover, and then he immediately goes into the foot washing um, portion. And many scholars believe that that is referring to the foot washing. But the meal itself was the actual Passover and that it happened on the normally prescribed time that Passover would have happened. And all sorts of other explanations have been offered, but I won't go into it now. So there's a lot to suggest here that this is indeed a Passover meal that they are gathering to celebrate. And it was at this Passover meal that Jesus gave them a new commandment. And as I've shared with you before, the heart of this commandment, love one another, is not new. The Old Testament taught love for one another, but here Jesus adds something. Jesus adds, as I have loved you. This is the new aspect, the new commandment. Jesus commanded them and us to love as he loves well, what does this include? Well, it includes a number of things. And the first thing I want us to think about and look at tonight is the lesson in the foot washing. At this meal, Jesus would have been the host, the one who organized and called together the meal. We know from other gospel accounts that Jesus had the disciples go to a certain man in the city and instructed him to allow them to set up the Passover there. Most likely this would have been in the upper city of Jerusalem where larger, wealthier homes that had upper chambers would have been located since most homes in the lower city were smaller and would have not um, had such rooms. Excuse me. So in this nice home, Jesus and his disciples gathered and Jesus would have been the host. And as the host, he would have arranged to have water available so that the servants could wash the guests' feet. In a culture where people often walked great distances and whose feet were dusty and sore, this was an important aspect of a gathering like this at a nice meal. Normally, this would have been done at the beginning of the meal, which again, John seems to indicate from John 13. In the culture of the time, it was the duty of the lowliest of servants to wash their master's feet. One scholar writes these words, Peers did not wash one another's feet, except very rarely and as a mark of great love. Some Jews insisted that Jewish slaves should not be required um, to wash the feet of others. This job should be reserved for Gentile slaves or for women and children in pupils, but certainly not for masters. 
Jesus upends this order of things and takes upon himself the role of the servant and washes all of his disciples' feet. This went against the culture and custom in such a significant way that Peter objects to it, but Jesus insists. And Jesus then calls them to do the same and to regard one another in this way. And I'm going to do that for my wife uh, in just a moment. And I think a part of what's why I desire to do this tonight, um, one is because I love my wife and I want to, to serve her in this way. She walked uh, in her bare feet down here just to get the full effect. No, I'm kidding. Um, but they would have reclined at the table and would have been facing just as Megan is um, around a table very similar to this I'm going to explain a bit more about that in just a moment but their feet would have been out away from the table and they would have leaned in with their left side and um, and they could have leaned back to talk to one another and so Jesus would have gone around the outside of the table and he had very easy access to their feet and would have would have washed their feet so I'm going to do that now for my precious wife It's a humbling thing to do, and it is quite amazing that our master, our Lord Jesus, would do that. Jesus calls them and us to do the same, perhaps not literally washing one another's feet, but serving one another, right? Upending what we might consider the sort of castes and roles that perhaps uh, society normally gives to servants and masters. The other lesson that happens um, at the Passover meal at this moment in John 13 is the lesson in how we treat our enemies. And some of you have uh, perhaps been to another Monday Thursday service we've done here and heard me share on this, but it's just so powerful and it, and it cuts right to the heart um, that I really feel like it's good whenever we gather to on this night to talk about these things. But that's the lesson in how we treat our enemies, how we treat our enemies. 
Most of us, if we are honest, love those who love us back. Right? This is how we love people. They treat us nice. We treat them nice. We love those who treat us well and who respect us and care for us. But Jesus calls us to more than that. It would have probably been lost probably been lost on the disciples that night at this gathering, but later on they would remember what Jesus said and did that night, this night. Notice in our, our passage for tonight that the foot washing happens before Judas leaves to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, obviously, this was going to happen, yet he still washes the man who betrayed him's feet. Jesus washed even Judas's feet, knowing full well what he was up to. As I looked at this a little closer, and I did some research, I actually did this research a few years ago, and I've, again, just found it so interesting, whether it's 100% accurate or not, it's just very fascinating, something to stir the mind a bit. But I did this a couple years ago, and I'm going to share a little bit of, of what I found uh, again tonight. But you can look at the events of that night and you can begin to piece together evidence to suggest that the marks of Jesus's love towards his enemies go even beyond the foot washing. There are various, again, reconstructions of how the events may have unfolded that night. But there was one thread, again, I found in a number of places that I thought was worth sharing with you tonight. Again, take it with a grain of salt because I don't know that it's absolute ironclad fact but it does seem suggestive from what we've read even in John 13. The reconstruction of the event suggests that the kind of table that was used at the Last Supper was not a long, thin, straight table with Jesus in the center and the disciples flanked out on both sides, which famous paintings like Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper show us. If any of you can imagine that image, that famous painting in your mind, I had intended to get a copy of it to you, Scott, so you could pull it up, and I didn't pull all that together. I'm sorry. But Jesus is in the center of the picture, and the disciples are out to the sides, right? That's the traditional image that we have of, of, of the way the table and the arrangement was that night. But rather, the table that was most likely used is what is called a triclinium, something like what I have put together here. And I'm told this was a Roman style of table that was adopted by the Jews of the time. It would have been a three-sided table that was low to the floor. So this end here is much higher than what they would have used. I just did it that way because there's not enough room up here to get it all up completely on the stage. But it probably the height would have been closer to what the back end is here from the floor. <clears throat> So it would have been low to the floor and it would have had cushions or, or couches all around it, something, something like this, maybe larger cushions, blankets and whatnot. And they would have laid on their left side and used their right hand to eat and drink. So they would be leaning in this way and they would be eating and drinking with their, their right hand. This would have allowed them to lean into the bosom or the chest of the person to their left, to lean in and talk to the person behind them. And their feet, as I explained a moment ago, would have been out 
away from the table. Again, easy access for Jesus to go around and wash their feet. The host would have sat second to the left. So that would put Jesus, again, I don't know how many would have been on which side of the table and all those details, but that would put Jesus on that far side over there in the middle spot, the second from the end there. Again, not in the center as is depicted in much of our artwork today. The guest of honor would have been on his left and a trusted friend on his right. So the trusted friend would be here on the end of the table and the trusted fr- and the, uh, the the guest of honor would be just behind that Jesus would have been leaning into the bosom of the honored guest. The least important would have been on the far right, which would have been right over here. And this was the position of the servant if the servant was seated at the table. And this end, most likely in, in most cases, would have also been near the entry and exit point. So maybe the door would be over on this side of the room so the servant could quickly get up and retrieve whatever additional items or more food or whatever that might be uh, uh, needed for the guests and to clean up and so on. If this arrangement was followed by Jesus, then we can reconstruct some of the seating arrangements for the night. And we believe that it was likely, or again, some of the people I was reading uh, in the, over the, I think I did this research two or three years ago, but some of the folks I was reading about this believe that it was likely that John would have been sitting uh, here as John thirteen twenty three says that John was reclining at the table at Jesus's side. In the Greek, the expression is in the bosom of Jesus. So it indicates that that John would have had to lean into Jesus to ask him who it was that was going to betray him. So the, again, trusted friend, the disciple whom Jesus loved over and over and over, this comes through in John, would have been right in front of Jesus, leaning into the bosom of Jesus, which makes good sense. The trusted friend would be there. Also, verse 25 says that John leaned back against Jesus to ask him who was going to betray him and so on. Well, guess who was sitting at Jesus's left hand in the place of honor, which would have been Jesus's right if you were facing him. There's evidence to suggest that Judas would have been sitting in the seat of honor. Matthew 26, 23 says that when Jesus dipped his hand in the dish, Judas dipped his hand in the bowl too, which seems to suggest that Judas would be right next to Jesus, right? Our passage in John before us today in John 13 suggests that Peter was on the other side of the table as he had to beckon to Jesus to see who it was that was going to betray him. He calls out and motions to Jesus as if he's on the other side of the table or the room almost. Who is it, Lord, that's going to betray you? Some say that it would have been Peter, perhaps, in the position of of honor, not someone else, but this would contradict Jesus' teaching on service, wouldn't it? Remember Jesus' teaching about who is the greatest. Jesus taught that the one who served the others was the greater, greatest. Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, you must become the slave or the servant of all, Jesus said. Remember the disciples arguing amongst one another about who is the greatest. And Jesus told them it was not the one who lorded it over the others, but the one who served. Therefore, many believe that Peter might have been the one placed in the position of servitude that night. Perhaps Peter was serving 
Peter was the one to become the lead apostle, the rock, as his name indicated, after Jesus departed. But yet, Jesus here places him in the position, the least position, serving the others. Again, if, if this reconstruction is, is accurate. But isn't that interesting? While we, again, cannot know for sure, it certainly seems like something Jesus would do. Perhaps Jesus wanted to teach Peter something by placing him in a position of servitude that night and not in the position of honor. Again, somewhat speculation here, but there does seem to be some evidence for these things. Jesus then gets down, of course, after everyone's in their spot that uh, the Lord had indicated, washes the feet of the disciples to only further knock that message home that the the least, right, will be the greatest, and the greatest will be the least, so to speak. And once Jesus, Judas, sorry, leaves, Jesus goes into a lengthy time of teaching, talking about many things, including his death. And it is in his death where Jesus would become the fulfillment of the Passover by laying down his life as the Lamb of God, and in so doing that he would most clearly serve his people the master serving the others the graced greatest becoming the least tonight as you reflect upon these things remember that jesus did not merely do these things for his first disciples he did them for you and for me we were truly his enemies we were all children of destruction and yet Christ came for us. Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, was given for you and for me. And Jesus said, this is how we are to love. Amen. Now we'll turn to the communion table together. And I'd like to pray as we turn to partake of the Lord's Supper. Again, the, the elements tonight are, will be a little different. Um, we're going to be eating um, unleavened bread, bread that has, has not had yeast and time to rise and all of that. Um, so it'll be a bit different. It's more like a cracker. But it will be similar to what they would have partaken of at the actual Passover, at the last supper meal. But as we uh, prepare for that, let's, uh, let's pray. And then um, we're going to walk through a, a model liturgy for the Lord's Supper here. They be in the part, your parts are going to be in the bulletin. It will be on the screen as well. Um, this, that it's been modeled after a traditional Jewish Passover celebration in which actually the children are involved. So that's why my kiddos are up here. Some of them anyways. And the kids, the younger children, um, the youngest capable children would ask questions regarding each of the rituals in the meal. Of course, it looks different for us because we're not celebrating the actual Passover. Uh, we're commemorating that moment, right, with Jesus and his disciples. So it looks a bit different for us, but we're going to try and model it something similar to, to what a traditional Passover might look like. Okay, so let's pray together as we um, prepare for this moment. Lord, we... Uh, we give you thanks again for your great love and 
not, and that your love is not just something that's spoken or said, uh, that it's demonstrated and, and lived out um, most clearly in your death. And, and Lord, um, we marvel at, at these commands. Again, not only because they are beautiful, this idea of, of masters and leaders serving um, the servants and humbling themselves and serving others. And then your call to, uh, to serve and love one another as you have loved us. Not only is it beautiful, but we marvel because it is hard. And it is only by your grace that, that we can walk in this way. So we pray tonight for your help as we um, will read um, some things here in just a moment and pray some things together. Um, Lord, I pray that it would be from our hearts and that as we partake, you would strengthen and help us again to serve you in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit.